Hey, so thankful that you guys are joining us here, our last service of 2019. And it's also, uh, we're going to end our series here, Simply God. And if you haven't been joining us the last few weeks, we've been kind of unpacking the characteristics and the attributes of who God is. And we've learned things like God is a jealous God. Now, some of you guys are thinking, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he's an insecure God. But God has a rightful right to be jealous for the things of such his glory and his people. And if you want more information about any of these messages, you could always check us out on our YouTube page and check out any of our sermons there. But we also learned about how God is real, how he's more than just words on a page, but that he comes to life in the different experiences that we have in our, in our lives. And then another thing that we learned is that God is a strong tower. That when we're going through difficult times and challenges, that we could run to him and find refuge and rest. And we also learn that despite our circumstances or our situations or how we feel about things, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Well, today I want to share another truth of who God is, especially because, because I believe all of us need this, either now or at some point in our life, and that is Simply God, God is a God of hope. Now, before we kind of unpack that through God's scripture and through our time here together, do you mind if I pray for us? Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we're so grateful that you are a God that is real. We're so grateful that you are a God that is jealous for us, that loves us with great passion and desire. God, we are so thankful that you are a God that we can run to and find refuge and rest in. God, we're so grateful that, God, despite what is going on in our lives, God, we can always trust that you are good. And, God, we come now, Lord, learning, wanting to learn how you are a God of hope. And, God, I know that there are many people in here that need to hear this today because they are not full of hope, but they instead feel hopeless. And so, God, would you show up? Would you remind us? Would you reveal to us through your scripture who you are? And how, God, with you, we have hope in all situations. We love you. We thank you. And, God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we are closing out the year in 2019, maybe some of you guys have paused and looked back and thought, man, this has been a really great year. You got everything that you could have hoped for. You got the new job or a promotion. You got a new relationship. Or things are just working out better than expected. And so with 2020 right around the corner, you are hopeful for what's coming next. And the reality is there are some of you that are actually in the quite opposite end of the spectrum. Instead of being full of hope, you feel hopeless because you haven't gotten what you wanted. Nothing seems to be working out, leaving you in despair, in depression, frustrated, hurt, and disappointed. And this is why I believe today's message is so important for us today. Because I hope that it would serve as maybe a revelation for some of you guys, but also as a reminder for many of us that God is hope. But before we kind of unpack this idea of God being hope, I wanted us to be on the same page when it comes to hope. Because here's the thing, uh, as I've been transitioning here at South Bay Community Church, moving from working with the youth to now helping more with the care and counseling aspects of our church, I've had the opportunity to come alongside couples, especially those that are about to get married or just recently married, and help them get together on the same page. And as I've been doing some of these counseling sessions, I've realized something, that a lot of times the thing that is kind of at a miss between a guy and a woman is that... They may be saying the same things, using the same phrases, but they actually mean completely different things. For instance, I, I found this funny little picture that kind of illustrated that. It says what a guy would say and what it really means and what a female might say and what it really means. Like, for instance, when a guy says nothing, forget about it, he just means nothing, forget about it, just quit talking, we're done. But when a female says nothing, forget about it, she's more or less implying you better figure out what you did wrong. Right? Or, or when a guy says, man, he asks the question, are you tired? He's really just asking, are you tired? Are you going to go to sleep? But when maybe a female is asking, are you tired? She is asking, man, please don't go to sleep. I love talking to you. Will you stay up with me longer? Or, or a guy might say, I'm okay. And when he says, I'm okay, he's okay. But for a woman, when they say, I'm okay, they're not okay. Oftentimes, they might be saying something instead like, hold me tight. I need a shoulder to cry on. I need you to be here with me. 
And as silly as this is, I think the reality of it is this. There are words and phrases that we often use that we kind of have different ideas of what they actually mean. And I think hope is the same. See, I think we all think of hope as kind of a wish. When we look at hope, we look at it this way, this idea of an anxious anticipation of what we want. And unfortunately, we experience hopelessness when we really want something. We really desire it. And we realize that we're not going to get it. And I believe this is partially the reason why so many people are hopeless and in despair. But also because they have put their hope in things that were never meant to fill them and give them that hope that they desire. See, the idea of hope is that oftentimes we look at it as something that we really want, but it's also clouded in uncertainty. It's more, like I said earlier, a wish. Like, I hope that the Lakers will win. I hope that I'll lose some weight. I hope that I'll get this job. I hope that I'll get married. See, that hope is more of something that we want and we desire, but we're not quite sure we're gonna get. But the biblical version of hope is actually something completely different. See, when we unpack the Bible and as I studied the word study of this idea of hope, I found out when in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew. And oftentimes the words that were used in Hebrew that reference hope as we know it today were different. They had a different meaning in the sense of one was yahal. And yahal, what it means was it meant to wait patiently. And so when it said to hope in God, it's this idea that we would wait patiently on God. And and the other word that was often used for hope in the Old Testament, this Hebrew word was kava. And kava was this idea of this tension that existed as you waited, but you also waited with this tension with expectation. So when you are told to have hope in God, you expect God to come through. And then in the New Testament, see the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word that they often used for hope, especially with God, was elpis. And what elpis meant was this confident expectation and trust in God. See, what I want you guys to see and understand as we unpack hope today is the way that we often identify hope as a wish or a desire, it's usually built on uncertainty and things and circumstances and the things that we want to happen. But hope, as described by the Bible, hope is waiting confidently and expectantly on God. Right? It's not about circumstances. It's not about optimism in the sense of I'm positive and I'm going to try to see the silver lining in whatever is going on. But no, it's about confidently waiting on God to come through. And so because this idea of hope, according to the Bible, is about God, I want you guys to write this down. If you guys are following along in your notes here today, you guys could write this down as your first point. But that is God is our source to be hopeful. God is our source to be hopeful. See, God desires that we would be full of hope. And if we're going to be full of hope, especially in seasons where it's really difficult and tough, the only, way, only place we're going to find it is in God. Paul really illustrated this in Romans 15, 13. I know that on some of your notes, it might say 5, 13. It's really Romans 15, 13. And, and this is what Paul had to say about God being our source of hope. It says, may the God of hope, If you guys are following along in your program and you take notes, would you circle that line, God of hope? Will you underline it? Do something to just draw your attention to this. It's telling us that God is our source of hope right here. It says, may the God of hope. What is he wanting? What is Paul praying that would happen? May the God of hope, may he fill you. May he fill you with all joy and peace. Right? He's, He's asking and he's praying that God, the source of hope, will give you something in the midst of what you're going through. It's not necessarily asking God to remove something, but he's asking God instead to give you something. And what is that? In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your desperation, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your situation, he's asking not to take it away, but to give you joy and to give you peace and to fill you with hope. Because take a look, he says, with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is God. He wants to fill us to capacity with hope. He wants to give us an overflow of hope. He wants to complete us with hope. He is our source of hope, and he wants us to be full of it. And there's this amazing thing about this truth of God being our source of hope that I hope that you guys would recognize. Because God is our source of hope, we write this down as your next point. With God, there is always hope. 
Because of God, there is always hope, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situations, regardless of how dark it might seem. God, if he is there, if he exists, if he is real, man, we have hope. And I want to show you why. I want to kind of unpack for you guys why as we explore a little bit more of his personality, his purposes and his plans, also the ways that he not only makes promises but fulfills them, that God is someone that you can confidently and expectantly wait for and have hope in any and all situations. And the first one out of many, but the first one that I really want to hit on today is this. Will you write this down? God, he is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. I don't know about a lot of you guys, but I I tend to make a lot of promises, especially around this time of year, especially as we move into the new year. We make resolutions, we make goals, and we make these promises. And and, and sadly, oftentimes, we, we don't keep them. As much as I like to be someone of my word, I fail on my promises time and time and time again. My wife can attest to that. But here's the thing, as I've also been working with couples and I've had the pleasure of just not only counseling them, I've had the pleasure of actually even marrying some of them as well. I actually married a couple, a couple here on stage. You saw Lauren, she was up here singing. She's one of the singers. And Scott, he's our drummer back there. They got recently married back in November. And then Todd and Nicole, they're two people on staff here at our church. They just recently got married as well. And and something that I've been learning as I've been doing more and more of these weddings is that I'm not the main attraction. And so I get it. It's okay. I guess the bride and the groom are the most important people. But, you know, I I used to stress out about the message and what I was going to deliver and my words. But then yet I realized that the most important words during that ceremony were the words that they were going to commit to one another as they make vows and promises to each other. You know, and unfortunately... We can look around at the divorce rate here just alone in the United States and see that a lot of people, they don't keep their promises. And maybe you've been burned by people that you really look to, to trust in, the people that you thought would come through for you. And so that's why maybe for you, you feel hopeless. Today, I want to remind you, I want to show you that God is someone you could have hope in because he not only makes promises, he is a promise keeper. See, this Bible is full of promises, promises for our life right now, the things that we're facing, but also promises for the future and even life after death. He makes all sorts of promises. Dr. Storms, he he counted this man, Dr. Storms, he looked through the scriptures and he found that there was over 8,000 promises found here in the Bible alone that God makes to man and to others. And, and, And in those promises, we also find prophecies. Prophecies are like promises. They're promises about things to come and it's really cool because that shows us that God he not only comes through on his promises he knows what he's going to do he has plans and his purposes he has the foresight to see things that are going to come and so when he predicts things and makes these promises of prophecies to come to pass man it only reveals his faithfulness and only it only boosts his reliability As we explore some prophecies, what I wanted to do is I wanted to unpack one of them for you just to kind of show you how God is a God of his word. One such prophecy comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 14, 22 through 23, the prophet is making this proclamation from God to the people of Israel who were in captivity at that time to the Babylonians. And see, the Babylonians, man, they were a powerful empire. They, they were considered one of, if not the strongest empire at the time. They were brutal by, and they took things by force. Some people at the time might surmise that Babylon, man, they had no equal, that everybody feared them. But take a look at what God had to say about Babylon. He said this in Isaiah 14, 22 through 23. He says, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord Almighty. I will wipe out Babylon's name and survivors, her offspring and her descendants, declares the Lord. But he goes on even further and it makes this prophecy. He says, I will turn her into a place for owls and into a swampland. I will sweep her with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord Almighty. See, the prophet makes this bold claim about Babylon being taken out. This was a world power that two times throughout history, they were taken down, but they came right back and stronger and more fierce than ever. And so you can only imagine how the Israelites hearing this, they were thinking, sure, yeah, right. 
This empire cannot be taken down. And yet this is what God had proclaimed. This is what God had promised. This is what God had prophesied. And that's exactly what happened. In 539 BC, they were beaten by King Cyrus. And they were never rise again in power. God came through on his promise. God came through on this prophecy. And then the other part of the prophecy, it tells us is what? That he will make Babylon a swampland. And, and check this out. See, as history tells us, as the buildings of Babylon fell into gradual state of ruin during the next few centuries, interestingly, when archaeologists, they excavated Babylon and the area in which it existed in the 1800s, they discovered that some parts of the city could not be dug up because they were under a water table. They had actually had water infested in them and to the point where they were a swampland. See, when, when, when Isaiah had written this, this was back in 701 to 681 BC. And you're telling me that in the 1800s, 1880, they were able to discover that God is a God of his word. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his prophecies. Another example is Abraham and Sarah. If you don't know them, they're two key figures of, of, of faith in the Bible. See, Abraham was told by God that, you know what? From you, a great nation will be born. From your descendants. And see, Abraham had an issue with this because when God told him this, he was, he was nearly 75 years old, right? He, he was like, wait a second, I'm 75. My wife is 65. I don't have any kids, and you're telling me from my kids there will be a great nation that will be born. God, I don't know if you understand this or not, but I don't got any kids. God said, no, I promise you. This is my prophecy to you. And here's the thing. God fulfilled it 25 years later. God kept his promise. And sometimes, you know, we struggle with God's promises. We may read something and we're like, man, God, why aren't you coming through? This is what you promised. Maybe you really aren't a promise keeper because it's not happening. Would you be reminded even through these stories, God, God's promises are going to be filled on God's time and in his way. And that's exactly what he did for Abraham because 25 years later, at 100 years old, at 90 years old for Sarah, they had their first child, Isaac will lead to the nation of Israel being formed. But maybe the greatest prophecy and promise to ever come through, come to pass is Jesus Christ. You know, this past week we celebrated Christmas and at many churches, they were probably reading this verse or maybe you guys saw it somewhere on Instagram or Facebook or social media or maybe you read it in your devotionals, but it's Matthew 1, 22, verse 23. And this talks about this prophecy and this promise of a savior to come. It says, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that prophet that he was referencing was Isaiah. See, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, has that same exact prophecy and promise that a Savior was going to come, that he was going to be born of a virgin, and his promise was delivered in Jesus Christ. That promise, that prophecy happened nearly 700 years before this proclamation. Jesus, Jesus was God's answer, promise, and prophecy. And, and if you just take a look at Jesus, you could see God's faithfulness and, and how he's a God of his word through how Jesus fulfills so many promises and prophecies of being the new Messiah. Here, I, I have a little table of just a few maybe a dozen or so of the prophecies that can be found in the Old Testament and hundreds, if not thousands of years later, be fulfilled in Jesus. And this is just a tip of the iceberg. There's over 300 plus prophecies and promises about Jesus and he, Jesus fulfilled all of them. Think about the odds in which that, that, that could take place. See, you and I, we have better odds of winning the lottery than one person fulfilling what Jesus fulfilled all the promises and the prophecies here in the Bible. See, and what does this prove? It proves God's faithfulness. It proves his reliability. It proves the accuracy of this scripture, how when God speaks, it happens. And that's something that you and I can hold on to so that when we read a verse like Romans 8.28, and we're told here, and we know that in all things, God, he works. He works for the good 
the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, we can trust that. We can hold on to that. We can have hope in that. But now I want you guys to remember when it says for the good, it's God's good. Not necessarily what our definition of good is. Not necessarily what we want, what we desire, but we can trust that even though we're going through something we don't understand and we don't like it, man, God's word, his promises tell us that he's working and he's working for good. See, God works in mysterious ways, but God continues to fulfill his promises. Our own Pastor Gary realized this personally. He gets up here week after week sharing God's words with us, sharing his promises, sharing his prophecies. And man, he had to really cling on to those promises and those prophecies through this past year. See, if you weren't with us earlier this year, Pastor Gary, they have found through tests, a spot on his lung, and he heard the words that nobody ever wants to hear, it's cancer. You know, thankfully, they caught it in time, and he was just able to take care of it just through surgery. And I can say, thankfully, right now, right here, today, he is cancer-free. But do you know how it all went and happened for him to get to this point of here being in the hospital bed to being a week or two later here on stage proclaiming about God's goodness and how God will work out things in, in the end. See, what had happened was Pastor Gary had been struggling with like this acid reflux, this burning sensation in his chest. It had been pers persistent. And so he had gone to the doctor time in and time again to try to figure out what was going on and to remedy it. And because it was going on for so long, they decided to take, they decided to take an x-ray. And it was that x-ray that revealed what was going on. See, God used the discomfort and the pain of that acid reflux. The thing that was keeping Gary up late at night, something that he wished would go away, God used it for good to reveal something else that was going on. And then God used it for good afterwards as now Gary was living proof to you and me that, man, God, he fulfills his promises. He comes through. Sometimes in ways that we cannot understand, but he does. But I know that there are some of you guys in here today, and, and you guys are like, but James, pastor, uh, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how difficult it is. It's like uh, I'm facing a giant, and there's no way that I could beat him. Or, or some of you guys are saying, James, you don't know the odds that are against me. They're insurmountable. There's no way, there's no chance I could get through this. Or some of you guys are like, it's, it's like an ocean. It's like the sea. There's no beginning. There's no end. It's just all consuming. There's no way I can get through this. But can I remind you that God used a little boy and a rock to slay a giant? Can I remind you that through Gideon, God used him and he whittled his army down to 300 to defeat 135 thousand enemies can i remind you of when god when god delivered his people from pharaoh on their way out they were being pursued and chased by pharaoh and his men because they were upset they were mad they wanted to prove a point they wanted to recapture them and as they were being pursued they hit an impasse they hit a point in the road where there was no other place to go except a sea in front of them. So it's kind of like a rock in a hard place. The sea or our enemies. And I'm sure they looked at it and thought, we can't do anything. What can we do? Human logic says there is no options. But thankfully, God doesn't run by human logic. And God said, I will make a way. And he split the sea. This reminds us of our next point of why we could always have hope in God. Because not only does he keep his promises, he is also a way maker. God is a way maker. It's more than just lyrics to a song. You'll sing it later and I hope it'll mean something more now after hearing this and as you're reminded of who God is. But God is a way maker. I'm sure the Israelites, as they were standing and thinking, man, we just got free, but now we're cha being chased by those that are after us, and, and we have this ocean. God has led us here only to die. What's up with that? There's no way out of it. And then all of a sudden to see the sea literally split apart and for them to walk 
through. Could you imagine what it must have been like as they were looking to their left and looking to their right and going, this makes no sense. There's fishes here. Nemo, Dory, oh my, like there's so many. But that's who God is. God is a way maker. There is nothing too difficult for him. Where there seems to be no way, there is a way for God. And God reminded his people of that as they were held in captivity. The prophet Isaiah, he spoke of this prophecy and this promise as well. Take a look from God himself through the, through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 43, 19, he said this, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Just because you don't see a solution doesn't mean doesn't, one doesn't exist. And other of you guys, you guys might be struggling because you're here and you're like, but James, okay, I've been waiting. I, I, I've been patiently waiting on God to come through. But as I look around my circumstances, my situation, I, I look around in this relationship and I just don't see anything happening. I don't see any change occurring. I don't see any hope. Can I remind you of this? I think someone needs to hear this today. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean he isn't. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean he isn't. Sometimes God works. God works while we cannot, in ways that we cannot understand, but also in ways that we are not privy to see. He might be doing something in someone's heart. That person that you're praying for, that person that you just think is too far from God or too far to change, man, you don't know what God might be doing. I was reminded of this when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, these religious leaders, because he had been healing people on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was this day reserved to be holy, and so no work should be done. But God, Jesus himself was saying, you know what? But God works all the time, and helping and healing people is not work. It's love. And he wanted to remind the Pharisees about God and how he is constantly working even when they can't see. In John 5, 17, this is what Jesus told them when they confronted him on working on the Sabbath for healing and loving people. Jesus said, but my father, my father is working until now and I am working as well. I want you to know, God is a God of his word. He's a promise keeper and his promise is this. His characteristic is this. He was working for those that love him, for their good. You may not see it, you may not understand it, but he's a way maker and he's doing something. He's up to something. And I want you to trust that there is nothing too complicated for him. There is nothing too difficult for him. There is nothing too hard for him. He's working on our behalf even when we can't see it. He has a plan and a purpose. And whatever we walk through, he can cut a clear pathway through anything, even the sea. And in seemingly hopeless situations, where we can't see any way out, God has, the God has the power to make ways where there were no ways. In those times, we, we, reveal, we, we realize that we can't do it on our own. Our hope shouldn't be found in our logic, in our ability to see what's going on, in our ability to change anything. Our hope should be in the one that can literally move the mountain, split the sea, and tear down any barrier before us. Because he has proven over and over and over again He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. But some of you guys might be thinking, but James, like, this is really hard. How can I trust a God that I can't see? How can I trust a God when I can't understand what's going on and what's happening? Well, that brings me to my last point. And will you write this down? God is an agape lover. God is an agape lover. And some of you guys are sitting here thinking, what, what's this word agape? I know that God is love. As some of you guys might have read before in 1 John 4, 8, it tells us here, anyone who does not love does not know God because why? God is love. And I love this because it describes who God is. This, this, this isn't just defining that God is love, but it, it describes God's love as permeating his essence in all, in all he is, in all that he does. You know, in a world where we live with a lot of scandals and a lot of violence and a lot of bad news, we can be confident and have hope in this. Theologian A.W. Tozer said it like this. He said, nothing God ever does or ever did or ever will do is separate from the love of God. Everything he has ever done has been out of love. Now, what is this love that we're describing here? Well, it's more than the love that we typically throw around so easily 
in our normal vocabulary. See, when I say love, I can say love about a lot of things. I could say I love chocolate chip cookies. I love Calbee, Korean barbecue. I love the Yankees. I love running. Some of you guys are like, running? I hate running. But I, I can say it about all of these random things, and yet I can say it the same about I love each and every one of you. I love my youth that I work with. I, I love my wife, Darren. I love God. And now if you think about it, wait, love chocolate chip cookies, I love God. Is that the same kind of love right here that we're talking about? See, unfortunately, here in the English language, we only have one word for love. But in the Greek, here in the Bible, there were different words often used for this idea of love. See, one was phileo, this idea of brotherly, friendly type of love and affection toward one another. And there was this love of eros, this idea of feelings, emotions, passion, attractional kind of love. But often, the type of love that is described with God and the type of love that we are called to have for one another, the type of love that God is and that God shows is agape. And what agape is, agape refers to the highest form of love. It's of charity, it's of giving, it's of sacrifice, it's of an active choice to selfly put other people above oneself. See, agape is God. It's who he is and it's what he does. And to give us a more practical idea of what agape is, take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Oftentimes you may read this or hear this at weddings, and it's a great sentiment of what love is. But I wanted to take a deeper meaning for you guys as we understand this is what love, sacrificial love, a self, a selfless love, God's love. God himself is. It says, love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now again, the word here that they use for love isn't phileo, isn't brotherly, sisterly love. It isn't eros, this attractional love between a man and a woman. This love here is agape. And we're told that God is love. God is agape. And agape is God. So when we look at it like this, we can look at this verse in this way. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on its own ways. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never ends. See, God is an agape lover. He loves you with agape, a selfless love. A love that is relentless for you. A love that is selfless. So much so that he desires you to the point of giving up his one and only son. See, I want you guys to understand God loves you more in this one moment than anyone else could love you in an entire lifetime. His love is timeless. It's unconditional. He loves you because that's who he is. And it's not about what we have done or what we do. He loves you even when you don't feel lovely. He loves you when no one else loves you. Others may abandon you. Others may divorce you. Others may ignore you. But God will always love you no matter what. Why? Because love is God. God is love. God is agape. He's an agape lover. You are more loved right now. You are loved more than you will ever know by someone who died to know you. Gave up everything for you. And see, nothing you can ever do can make God love you any more or any less right here and right now. And so if you're going through something really difficult, if you're going through a hopeless moment, if you're going through a time when you don't understand how things are going to work out and you feel completely out of control, remember that you're deeply loved by the one who is. And he is a promise keeper and he is a way maker and so when you consider this, I pray that this would give you hope in any situation, that it would fill you with peace and joy. And this hope, this hope is something that God has a process of, of us developing in our life. It's not something that he just instantly zaps us with. It's not something that we just try hard to gain, but he has a plan of developing that within us. Because see, he wants to lovingly fill us with hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint. And he gives us an explanation of how this hope comes together in Romans chapter 5. 
Paul kind of illustrates this. And I want to unpack this. I know that you guys don't have it in your program, so you guys can follow along up here. If you want to take down notes, you guys can. But this is what Paul says. God's plan is to fill us with a hope that doesn't disappoint. Tells us in Romans 5, 2 through 5. Through him, through God, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And see, this hope, this hope does not put us to shame. Another way they put it, it doesn't disappoint. Why? Because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, what Paul begins to illustrate is this. For hope to develop, it begins and it starts with suffering. And I know some of us are like, oh, that's not the fun place to start. Can we start somewhere else? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I try to avoid suffering at all costs. But the reality of it is this, what? Suffering is not optional. This is the starting point. See, Paul doesn't discuss whether or not we should experience sufferings. It's a given. Whether we are believers or non-believers, we're all going to deal with suffering. There's no doubt. There's no debate. But for Christians, this word suffering cannot pr- not break us, but pr- produce something great within us. See, the word suffering here in the Greek, the original language, is the root word that means pressure. And pressure can destroy, but also pressure can produce. And one great example that I often use that I found out was kind of wrong was this. I don't know if you guys know this piece of rock, coal. And, and there was this myth that went on that if this coal would experience a great deal of pressure, it would become this gem of a beauty, a diamond. And what I learned as I was trying to do my study on this was that actually coal and diamonds are two separate things. They're pretty much comp- com- compromised of similar, similar stuff, and that's why a lot of times people had thought that diamonds come from coal. But they were saying this, that no, they're two different things. They're basically made up of the same elements, but there's a couple differences. Oftentimes, diamonds can be found further in the Earth's core. Why? Because in there, it's a little bit deeper. There's a lot more heat and a lot more pressure. And those are things that are required for this diamond to become exactly what it is, this beautiful treasure. And and in the same way, I think Paul wants to remind us that sometimes we need to go through the heat and the pressure of life to produce something good in us and through us. See, with God, sufferings aren't pointless. They're purposeful. Because Paul tells us when we face our sufferings, then it can lead to another good outcome. Suffering can produce perseverance. And and how is perseverance developed? Through time. And so this time plus suffering develops within us endurance. But, But here's the thing. A lot of us, we want perseverance, but we don't necessarily want to put the time in to have it to develop the mentality, the attitude, and the ability to push through when things get tough. We want to have that ability, but we don't want to actually put the time into it. And I know this because as someone who runs, I I run a lot, and I I do a lot of marathons. It's 26.2 miles of of running. And here's the thing. When people ask me about it or when I complete one of these races, they ask me, was it hard? And I'm like, yes, it was really, really hard. Um, But I also tell them it's not as hard as the training that goes into it. See, as difficult as running a marathon is, it is nothing in comparison to the amount of time that somebody has to put in before completing that race on one day. It's all the hours and all the miles that people have to put in weeks in advance and continue to increase and build their perseverance and develop that over time in order to finally finish the race well. And in the same way, I believe that God wants us to press forward and push on and grow from our suffering and our circumstances, but it takes time. It takes suffering to help that happen. But when it does, when we mix the two together and we allow that suffering to become perseverance, then this is what begins to happen. Paul tells us that character develops. And again, the Greek word that was used to define character here is the character that comes from testing. It comes from the, the fire and the trials and the difficulties of life. See, this type of character is not inherited. This character comes through testing and walking the dark road of pain and hardship or persecution. This is God's way of making us into that precious gem 
that is a treasure and timeless. See, suffering does not have to rob Christians of their potential. No, suffering plus perseverance can get them to their potential. And something that I want you guys to see here in this development of hope that Paul gives us, never once does God change the person's circumstances, or there's no talk about that. I often do think that God can and he does do that, but what we're really focusing on is what? God changing the person's character. And that, that character change leads us to have hope. A hope that doesn't fail. A hope is what keeps people going against all odds. Paul says it's through suffering that produces perseverance, which in turn produces character. And out of that tested, refined character comes a hope. A hope that never fails. A hope that is found in God. A godly character emerges. A hope that looks to God, that trusts him, that believes his plans are good, even if we don't understand it, even though it's taking longer than we want. And we, it produces a hope that we believe that God doesn't let us down because he is a promise keeper. And someone who I have seen tested through suffering, who I have seen built through the time character of quite a gem is this young lady here, Taylor Matsunaga. If you don't know Taylor Matsunaga, she's been attending our church for even longer than I've been here. I've been here for 15 years, but she's been here even longer. She came here with a friend when she was in elementary school. But when I came here about 15 years ago, Taylor was fifth grade going into sixth grade. And I learned a lot about Taylor. I learned that her parents were Mark and Julie, great parents. Parents she loved so much. But I learned that Taylor had experienced some unfortunate news in that year as she was moving on from elementary to high school. See, in 2004, her mom, Julie, she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease. She was only in her 40s. And for the next five years, Taylor had to watch her mom's health and her mind deteriorate to the point where she couldn't even remember who Taylor was. And unfortunately, in October 29th, 2009, 10 years ago, at the age of only 49, Taylor's mom passed away can only imagine for a middle schooler, for a high schooler, how hard it must have been to lose their mom. But not only lose their mom, but to watch her slowly but surely slip away. But she held on to God. And through that suffering, character developed to the point where she sang this song about trusting God still continuing to come out week in and week out, clinging to God, helping lead worship in the youth group. And that character continued to develop over the next 10 years as it was just her and her dad. Thankfully, you know, her dad remarried and there was a, a stepmom that came in who loved Taylor tremendously. But unfortunately, two years ago in 2017, Taylor's dad was diagnosed with cancer. And after two long, hard, painful years, this past May, May 5th, 2019, Mark, Taylor's dad, also passed away. And so you can only imagine when I sat and I talked with Taylor shortly afterwards, she was real, she was raw, she was honest, and she said, James, this sucks. This is so hard. I'm 26 years old. And I never thought I'd be an orphan in my 20s. Thankfully, she, she was loved and supported, and she is so blessed to have all of her aunties and uncles, her stepmom, all these people continue to love her and care for her. But even during that time, she lost the three remaining grandparents that she had known her whole life as well. And it was tough for her because she was like, I'm an only child too, James. You know, as I grow up, I'm supposed to have brothers and sisters who I can share family with and grow old with, but I don't even have that. I know I'm so blessed and so thankful that I have family who will be there for me, and I have no doubt they will, but it's just different. It's hard. 
And I would have given her every right to be mad with God and be upset with God and to throw her hands up in the air and say, God, I'm done with you. I'm done with your plans. I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is wrong. This is unfair. And there was a part of her that really wanted to. I could hear it in the hurt and the heartache she was experiencing. But she said, I can't, James. I can't. Because as much as this hurts and as much as this sucks, as much as I would not wish this on anyone, I don't get God. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't feel very good, but I still believe. I still have hope. Because see, if I, I let go of God, man, I let go of my hope, the hope that I will one day see my mom in heaven again, the hope that I have that I will see my dad again, because they were believers, they proclaimed their faith in Jesus. So if I give up on God, I give up on that hope. Because then what else is there for me? Just to exist and die? I'm going to hold on. And here she is, 10 years later, and, and I asked her, like, would you be willing to sing that song up here again? And she's like, no. <laughs> but she said, you could share the words. And you could share them because they're still words 10 years later. She still sings even after losing both her parents. And I want to share with you, it comes from Ginny Owens. It's called, If You Want Me To. These are the words that Taylor still cries out and still sings, even though it's really hard. But this is what it says. It says, the pathway is broken and the signs are unclear. And I don't know the reason why you brought me here. But just because you love me the way that you do, I'm going to walk through the valley if you want me to. Because I'm not who I was when I took my first step. And I'm clinging to the promise you are not through with me yet. So if all these trials bring me closer to you, then I will go through the fire if you want me to. It may not be the way I would have chosen. When you lead me through a world that's not my home, but you never said it would be easy, you only said I never go alone. So when the whole world turns against me and I'm all by myself and I can't hear you answer my cries for help, I'll remember the suffering your love put Jesus through. And I will go through the darkness if you want me to. What a treasure Taylor is. That had only come through the pains and suffering of watching and experiencing the loss of her mom and her dad that she can still sing this song all because she's held on to God and she has also come to realize how much God has held on to her and that's where I want to leave with you leave you with here today church I know it's tough I know it's hard I know the situation the circumstances the people the relationship seems hopeless but through that suffering I pray that it will lead you to endurance. And through that endurance, it will develop in you character. And that character will point you to the God who is a promise keeper, who is a way maker, and who is an agape lover. And you would realize that even though it may not feel like it, he will never stop holding on to you. So like Taylor and like through many here in scripture, let's learn from their example and when we do this, you could write this down as your last point. Would you hold on to hope as God holds on to you? Hold on to hope as God holds on to you. It would be so tempting to just let go, throw your hands up in the air and say, forget it, I'm done, I'm walking away. And you may even do that. Maybe you are doing that right now. But realize this, even as you do that, God is such an agape lover that he's still pursues you, still desires you, still wants you, and still holds on to you. And I hope that that might help you to hold back onto him. Hebrews 10, 23, the author of the Hebrews told us to do this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised, he's faithful. He's a promise keeper. So hold on to God. And what that might look like, it might mean you crying out to God. 
Maybe some of you guys need to just go out in prayer and tell God where you're hurting, what you need, the help that you desire. Maybe it's through worship. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through journaling. But would you, as you do that, remember that he is an agape lover, that he loves you like no one else. And so he, and he even said in his word that he will hear your cries and he will answer. It might not be in your liking or your timing, but he will. And he'll do it. Why? How? For the good of those who love him. And then doing so, would you cling to his word? His word that he is working even when you can't see him. That he can make a way even when there seems to be no logical way. And then if you need anything else to remind you and to help you to hold on to hope, would you look to the cross? The cross reminds us that God, he has a plan. God, he fulfills his promises. And while his plans and his fulfillment of prophecies, promises might not come the way we would expect or want, or in the timing we like, we can know it's ultimately the best and that he'll do whatever it takes. And in the cross, in the cross, we see fulfilled promises. In the cross, we see how God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And in the cross, we find a love like none other in all of history. I love the cross too because it reminds us of Jesus. And Jesus shows us that we have a hope that is not dead. See, though Jesus gave his life and he died for us, the grave could not hold him. It shows us, it proves to us that even death is not hard for God. That he is even greater than death. And what we have instead is we have a living hope in Jesus that we can cling on to. And so, would you hold on? Would you hold on to God and what he has done to give you the hope that God, he's not done with you yet? And I'll close with scripture because I think this is an embodiment of the promise keeper, the way maker, and this agape lover and how he calls you to hold on because he'll hold on to you no matter what. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says it like this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love, from the agape of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, today I pray and I ask that you would use your words to serve as a reminder for those that are hurting and struggling and feeling hopeless. Or God, that you would use your word as a revelation to those who need it in a dark and difficult time. But for all of us, would you help us to see that we have hope in any and every situation because you are the source of hope. And you are a God that never fails. You are a God who keeps his word. You are a God that can make a way where there seems to be no way. And you are a God that loves us like none other. And so God, through the process of hurt and pain and suffering, would you build us in endurance? Would you refine our character to be more like Christ so God, we could have the hope found in you and be hopeful. We love you. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.